Welcome to What We Give, a podcast that highlights the remarkable ways people are contributing to our community. I'm John McKay, Member of Parliament for Scarborough Guildwood. In this episode, I speak with Wisdom Teddy, Principal of the University of Toronto, Scarborough, also known as UTSC, and Vice President of the University of Toronto. Wisdom's area of expertise is in political science, focusing on the African diaspora, politics, and media. He is well positioned to lead UTSC through these challenging times. Fun fact, UTSC has for the last seven out of 10 years produced the top undergraduate scholar in the entire U of T system. Here's our conversation. I thought it was interesting, you know, you were born in Ghana and your parents named you Wisdom and you have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a doctorate, you are a professor, you are a principal, you are a, uh, you are a, a doctor, you are a um, vice president. How did your parents know at that time that they were going to have such a smart and wise child? <laughs> you know, you're probably giving them a lot of credit for being able to look into the future, right? You know, I thought you were going to sympathize with me and go, how come they put this pressure on a young kid like you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but at the personal level, yes, you know, I, I, I grew up in Ghana. Um, uh, had the either the fortune or misfortune, depending on how you look at it, of bearing this name, uh, which meant <laughs> that, you know, there's no shortage of people who, you know, remind you of what you're expected to do. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, it's, it's, it's been a blessing for me to be able to um, do what I've done. But, you know, it's, it's important, you know, when we talk about individual accomplishments, to remember that we don't do this alone, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I... I come from a family that was really supportive. I had a mother that ensured that in spite of the fact that she didn't have a formal education, that she invested in us to make sure that we had an opportunity to be able to, um, you know, explore uh, what was out there, right? And education was a solid foundation that allowed you to, to some extent, equalize the playing field in a way. Uh, and as I went through university, uh, you know, sorry, through, primary school through high school to university, my teachers have been strong pillars for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, building a sense of confidence in you, helping you along the way. Peers have been there. So there are a lot of people, um, and, and I come from a very extended family as well. So just the range of people who are out there to support you and to have you believe in yourself uh, and to ground you in some core values that have endured, right, that allow you to keep to the path uh, to where I've been. Uh, and so, you know, it's a combination of uh, support, uh, people believing in you and giving you an opportunity, you doing your part uh, to ensure that those who confide, you know, who believe in you are uh, made to feel that it was worth their while to do that. Uh, and, um, and so I come to this position with a lot of humility, uh, understanding that it is not a singular achievement on my part by that of a lot of people. But you have a you have a extremely interesting path to come to this this uh, position that you're in now, including 
doing some studies, I believe, in Moscow, at least in Russia. Mm -hmm. Tell me, how do you go from Ghana to Russia? That's not a uh, <laughs> that's not a usual path, or maybe maybe it was maybe at that time actually it was a useful a usual path because the uh, Soviets were keen on uh, getting African students. Uh, I believe right. that's correct. Well, I mean, I think I think that um, it goes back to the post you know independence period and the, you know the mm -hmm. post colonial period where. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, support for, you know, different independent movements from the, from the East. Uh, and so that history has always been there. But, you know, by the time I went to Moscow, that history, you know, that relationship was not as strong as it was in that early period. But nevertheless, mm -hmm. uh, continued to be part of, um, you know, the broader diplomatic relationship that, you know, Ghana had with, with the East. But from my perspective, it's interesting because, you know, um, we study a lot about the West. Uh, we were, uh, um, you know, products of the British colonial system. So we're a Commonwealth country uh, and tend to be in the direction of the West, right? And so you heard a lot about uh, the West and you heard quite a bit about the East. Uh, and for me, it was interesting with my interest in political science to say, how about you find out yourself? Right, because mm -hmm. I I know enough about politics to know that propaganda can be part of what you're, you know, suffused. <laughs> uh, propaganda and, never happens in this country. No, no. And so, and so, an opportunity to to find out yourself um, and yeah. to and to understand the culture, to understand the language, so that it's not filtered. Uh, mm -hmm. And and so, I've had an interest in policy of different systems. My area is political, you know, comparative politics, and so understanding different political systems is important. And so going to Moscow, um, you know, was a year abroad, uh, you know, uh, term for me and spent time there, you know, learned the language, uh, engaged with the communities uh, and, and was able to get a better understanding. The timing for me was interesting because it was just around the time that, um, you know, the Soviet Union was going through perestroika, you know, change was happening. Oh, really? Time. And so it was, it was exciting wow. to see elements of the old and the yeah. new that was just about to be born, right? Uh, and I, so that was a very unique time uh, to go on, you know, that term abroad program. That's a, that's a political scientist dream to be, uh, be at the uh, breakup of the Soviet Union, the perestroika, the uh, turn towards the West, and then the, essentially the dissolution of the, uh, the, the Russian Empire, and then the reemergence of the uh, Ru uh, Russian Empire under uh, under Putin, or the attempted reemergence. So, do you still do you still speak Russian? Uh, it's pretty. It's gone pretty rusty, uh, yeah. but I'm able to get by, uh, and I surprise people once in a while when uh, you know I can understand what they're saying or I say something back to them. Yeah. Uh, but but you know I wouldn't venture with the same level of confidence that I had about 30 years ago, uh, where I could reasonably get by, um, you know, in Moscow and anywhere else, uh, being able to communicate uh, effectively. Yeah, but I, you know, there's still, excuse me, uh, remnants of that. Uh, and that's the thing about language, right? That, um, you know, you just need certain things that trigger it and you, you're amazed yourself about what you can remember. Uh, but has, I, has, it, has it been any use to you in your, uh, in your academic career? It, yeah, it has. And you know, I think it's important to remember the language is uh, part of a culture, right? And so when you're studying language, right. it's not just the syntax or morphology or whatever that you're doing. You're understanding the whole culture as well. 
Uh, and so that has served me well in terms of my understanding of different cultures. Uh, as um, you know, a political communications person, uh, being able to engage interculturally requires you to have some understanding of what different things mean, you know, from mm -hmm. things like nonverbal cues to verbal, right? So it's not just, you know, because we tend to talk about language as though it was, um, you know, disconnected from the broader culture, but language is a way into a culture. Uh, and that's the way that uh, I see it. So it's allowed me to have a good understanding of uh, not just Russia, but the Soviet, uh, you, know, uh, you know, nations of the time and their uh, post breakup versions as well. Right. Um, I know I initially talked to you, uh, when I talked to you, we talked about uh, why a student uh, graduating from Laurier Collegiate or Woburn Collegiate uh, this year, uh, I'm just picking those as two, two, uh, two high schools in the riding, should, should pick UTSC, particularly in this time of uh, COVID and uh, the uh, reality uh, that um, a lot of classes will be virtual classes will be taught online. Mm -hmm. But before I go to that, I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about um, your uh, views with respect to what's uh, been happening in our community in the United States for the last week. I heard you give a talk at a Black History Month, uh, I think it was last February, I think it was mm -hmm. anyways. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I noted to myself at the time that that was one of the most thoughtful, uh, may I say wise? <laughs> <laughs> He's just gonna uh, resist that, right, John? <laughs> yeah, 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 we're, we're gonna go there regardless. Eh? <laughs> Uh, may I say wise, um, uh, conversation um, and presentation that I had heard a long time. So um, not that I wanted you to do the Coles Notes version of that presentation, but I, but I would think that today, uh, this past week's events have caused you to reflect further, and I'd be interested in those reflections. Yeah, no, uh, thanks for that opportunity. I mean, I think and I've shared this with colleagues um, on our campus. Um, there are a lot of people going through anguish about what is going on. Uh, and I think it's easy to assume that because it's physically removed from here, that mm -hmm. people are not uh, touched by it. And, um, you know, a lot of people within our community are feeling it because there's a sense of affinity. Uh, those are things that people do experience here as well. Uh, and I think it's important that as Canadians uh, that we don't fall into this um, false sense of complacency that it is not here, it's there, right? I mean, it's taken a particular form uh, in the US, but nevertheless, uh, people experience it. And within our city as well, this has been a longstanding issue, right? So I think the, you know, the issue of anti-Black racism is one that um, a lot of us live every day. Uh, I personally was touched by this event because I could, you know, I could, I could just hear, um, you know, the very things uh, within my own uh, small circle resonating in those spaces. And people that I talked to here, I know felt very strongly, uh, both psychologically and, and, and emotionally about what is going on. Uh, but there's also a lot of fear and anger because this is the life that a lot of young black uh, men in particular, but uh, it extends beyond, you know, uh, young black men. 
that as a society we feel we live in constant fear of what is to come because of a lack of trust that will be treated um, you know, as, 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 as humans, as the equal of others. Uh, so it, it's, it's a personal uh, thing for me, uh, and it's one that I think resonates across our society. Uh, but it's one thing to, to talk about the emotional piece. I think that we have to collectively turn our minds to how do we address this so people don't have to live this on a recurring basis, right? And so that requires us to think uh, introspectively about what are the kinds of things that enable uh, these conditions to persist, right? And how do we collectively, and this is not a responsibility of just our uh, Black compatriots. I think this is a collective responsibility on our part as a nation. And, and as a nation, uh, I think that when you mature, you have to be able to say, we don't have these things. You can't be a mature democracy. You can't be a mature civilization when these things that go against the very essence of who we are as represented in our charter continue to, uh, to be part of our you know, uh, everyday existence, right? So, so it, it, it's, it's very personal for me. Uh, and I think it should be a wake up call. We say this and it ebbs, but I think that we can uh, seize the moment and do something that allows our country to in fact be uh, higher up on that you know, hierarchy of civilizations, if that is what uh, we uh, profess to be. Uh, thoughtful as always. Um, we've heard the phrase wake up call for forever. Like as long as I've been in politics for 23 mm -hmm. years, we've had so many wake up calls, uh, we're, we're missing the alarm at this point. Mm -hmm. I, um, um, and yet nothing, well, as I say a little bit um, aggressively, um, nothing seems to change. Mm -hmm. Or uh, maybe maybe there are changes that are that have happened or are happening, um, and that there is some progress. I don't know where if there is. Um, I'd be interested in knowing where it is. So, <laughs> I, I you you re represent a major educational institution. I represent uh, the federal government. Um, two very, very significant institutions in our society. So if we magically took me out of this picture and substitute uh, by Zoom technology, the Prime Minister of Canada, what would you say to him? Well, I think, you know, I think the Prime Minister today acknowledged the fact that, you know, uh, there's anti-black racism in Canada. And I think acknowledgement is a good start uh, because before you can get to the point of making change, you've got to acknowledge that there's a problem, right? And uh, there's still a lot of people in our society who uh, play the proverbial ostrich on this one, right? And, and don't acknowledge it. So, so I think that is a good step. Uh, but that also requires then that we open up the full reality of our story. Uh, and our story has not always been what is, uh, we see in the sanitized versions, right? I mean, certainly Canada uh, has played its part uh, in, in fostering you know, human rights and so on. Uh, but we also have the ugly side of our history and we need to put that out and make it there. Uh, and so once you have that start, then you begin to engage with how do you then address it, right? Because to get to the, step, the step of addressing, you've got to acknowledge it. Uh, and, and then that opens up the question about moving beyond what are, in most cases, 
um, kind of episodic. It happens and we do something in the moment to something that is much more structural and enduring. And so that means that we have to look at what our structures are, uh, how do they uh, embed in inequality uh, and begin to you know, take care of those, right? Address those questions. Uh, we from uh, things around you know, healthcare to education and so on, we, we say it's available to everyone, but it really is not, right? There are impediments about those. Uh, what we study, the curriculum, uh, is reflective of a particular view of the world. Those are things that we can um, you know, change as educational institutions. Uh, and some of that conversation, I think, in the spirit of the Truth um, uh, and Reconciliation Commission's work, uh, we're beginning to see that on, on the indigenous front, but it's also you know, slow, not as, as, as fast as we would. But I think it's the same kind of mechanism of understanding uh, and beginning to uh, address structural problems. Now, I think that, you know, even the language that we use about, uh, you know, minorities uh, sometimes embeds that problem. Because so we talk about these are equity-seeking communities. Uh, and my position on this is that when you talk about people seeking equity, it looks like, you know, they're looking for something and somebody has to give it to them, right? So you're depending on other people being generous enough to allow uh, minority communities to be part of the larger society. And I think that if we move from you know, from there to something that we pride ourselves with, that we're a rights-based uh, society, and talk about these um, you know, members of our community as deserving of equity, of deserving of the rights that we have in the charter, then that puts an onus on all of us, right? Because then it changes the, the conversation from the largesse of someone helping someone out to saying, you are obligated as a citizen to ensure that your fellow citizen uh, is treated with the kind of rights-based um, assets, right, that are available to the society. So I think those are part of the conversation that we need to have uh, and begin to remove some of those impediments. But unless we do those, they'll always be superficial. Uh, people will play around it because it's not anchored in a commitment to what is right-based. So, we need to do that. And our educational system is gonna be a huge part of that, um, you know, group of uh, institutions that make a contribution. Because I think how we, um, we learn or unlearn some of these things is gonna be a critical part of that movement towards a better place for us and our society. I like the, uh, I like the thought of um, uh, citizens' rights and my citizens' rights. Um, our own are are in direct relation to your citizens' rights, and your mm -hmm. citizens' rights are in direct relation to mine. So if your rights are being impaired, so also are my rights being impaired. And mm -hmm. I don't, um, I don't think that um, uh, how should we say the resistant population necessarily appreciates that uh, when. Um, for want of a better term, equity-seeking groups um, uh, come uh, that uh, their um, their securing of um, of uh, citizens' rights are in fact uh, to the benefit of the entire entire society. Exactly. I'm, I'm glad you raised that point because a lot of the benefits that we all have have come from the struggle of um, you know, civil rights movements, right? And, and unfortunately, some of the people who were at the forefront of those struggles have not necessarily been beneficiaries, but others have. 
And, and I mm -hmm. think that if you look at, you know, the history in, 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 in the United States and in Canada, um, a lot of times you see black people at the forefront of those struggles because they have been among the most marginalized. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet others have benefited from that struggle. So I think looking at this in terms of, uh, so I, I, I consciously tend to, to shy away from using equity seeking for that reason because it, it's got an inbuilt right. uh, connotation there that I'm not comfortable with. And I think going back to your point, John, if we talk about these as equity deserving, just as I deserve my right uh, as a citizen, you deserve your right as a citizen, you treat it that way and say, if we are all citizens deserving a particular right, then why are we uh, treating each other differently, right? Because then it goes against the very essence of what a right-based society should be. Uh, and I think that language it's important, you know, uh, because language carries with it a whole lot of meaning. And if we continue to do that, and that is why in Canada, people have, um, you know, there's a sense in which our Indigenous um, compatriots are seen as, or depending on the state, because, you, you know, the notion of seeking, uh, it looks like you're always depending on someone. Uh, the same right. thing with our Black communities and marginalized communities. But these are not, you know, these are some of the most hardworking people you can find. I think it became evident to everyone in the midst of COVID-19 by the fact that those that we continue to think of as the, you know, the marginalized, the less important in our society have in fact been the ones who brought this up, right? They are right. in fact the essential uh, backbones for our societies. Uh, so do they deserve the rights uh, to be treated equally, fairly? Um, those are the questions that we have to confront as a society. Yeah. I feel like I've kind of sideswiped you a bit on this conversation, but I, I felt that it was a, it's a necessary conversation. So, um, I, for, so I'm going to switch to what I initially talked to you about talking about, and, um, and we'll go back to the proverbial um, student at Laurier Collegiate, naturally mm -hmm. uh, brighter than bright can possibly be. Mm -hmm. um, knows that UTSC is the best uh, university uh, within uh, miles and miles and miles, um, and um, and uh, is um, talking to mommy and daddy about writing the the, the check for mm -hmm. uh, for um, first year, whatever that's in. Um, sell sell uh, that proverbial laurier student or warrior uh, or or woburn or cedarburg or pick your pick your high school sell mm -hmm. sell that student on why utsc uh pick utsc in the first place and b um the student experience that you and i would understand mm -hmm is not going to be the student experience that this person is uh, is going to have possibly not just this first term but possibly for several terms to come mm -hmm. well you know thanks for the opportunity to share my thoughts on this you know i think um you know starting point is that by long shot you know this uh utsc is part of Canada's top university, you know, one of the best universities in the world, without question. Uh, and so you have an opportunity to be uh, on a campus of the University of Toronto. Uh, that in itself uh, is something to, uh, to be proud of. On our campus in particular, in fact, we just finished a strategic planning exercise, and our plan is called Inspiring Inclusive Excellence. 
And, you know, the key thing there is to bring together into this space people from around the world, the best talent around the world, to engage with one another and to build this vibrant community of learners who are able to shape the world uh, in fundamental ways. Uh, but we also want them to become leaders with a conscience, leaders who are able to constructively disrupt some of the stuff that we just talked about uh, and create a world that is better for everyone. If you are that kind of person who want to embody inclusive excellence, where you want to be among the best talents in the world, but at the same time, not lose sight of the fact that you have a responsibility to community, then this is a place for you. Because we look at our society as one that is building leaders. UTSC is one that is looking at creating leaders who have a conscience and a heart is the way I look at it. Uh, and so, you know, you come to us with the talent that you've got. We recognize that talent comes in different forms, and so we embrace all of it. We recognize that uh, people with different experiences and, um, you know, different aspirations can come into this space and make us all better because we are better than each of us as individuals. And so we pride ourselves with that, that we are um, a campus that is a vibrant intellectual community a campus that continues to uh, work at making ourselves more inclusive and welcoming for everyone, and one that brings the world to us. Because these students are going to be leaders, not just in our local communities, but leaders in the world. And so how does our community uh, create the environment for them to engage the world and to learn from the world and to shape the world uh, in ways that are um, you know, um, taking place in a very convivial, a very, um, you know, what would you call intimate dynamic environment. So we, we, we are a very, um, you know, exciting group of, of people who want to shape the world, change the world, build leaders. Uh, and I entreat everyone who wants to be part of that, you know, to choose our campus, because you would, in fact, have the opportunity when you're on our campus, not just to benefit from what UTSE offers, but to be part of a tri-campus university system that opens up a whole lot of possibilities uh, for you. Am I to understand that uh, in the past few years, the top undergraduate scholar um, in the entire tri-campus system came from UTSC, is that correct? Yes, yeah, so over the last decade, a significant number, and I'm, you know, I'll hazard a guess, you know, suddenly, I know it's suddenly more than 50% of the time. Um, I think probably seven out of 10 years, um, you know, the best, and, and this award goes to the best student across the three campuses, right? And so right. we take pride in the fact that the best and brightest are right here in Scarborough. Um, and, and, and the thing is that they're not just people who are beholding to their books. These are people who understand what it means to be a citizen. Uh, and, and that is what I'm most proud of, right? That we are uh, creating an environment that cultivates leaders uh, who are able to make an impact beyond their parochial, um, you know, desire to just be a smart, you know, student, right? These are smart students who are able to bring the benefit of their smartness to the world beyond them. Well, some, some of us have known for years that Scarborough is the center of the universe. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, there we are. You know, so like, why wouldn't we have the top scholar in the in the entire tri campus? Uh, it's perfectly perfectly normal and, and uh, to be expected. So, um, uh, what I'm uh, 
and is there any particular reason why for six, seven of the last 10 years, the top uh, scholar has come out of UTSC? You know, I, I, I don't think there's a magic answer to that. I think it just reflects the kind of students that we have on our campus. And, and we have a lot of stellar students across our three campuses. Um, and, and I think that the, um, we, we do create an environment where there's a you know, setting degree of intimate you know, relationship amongst um, you know, faculty and students because we're relatively small um, you know, campus. And so students are able to get the kind of hands-on uh, interaction with faculty that some institutions may not have. Uh, we also have a very strong uh, student services, um, you know, um, you know, unit that ensures that students' well-being, uh, their experiences outside of the classroom, are of the highest caliber, right? And so you're you're looking at the environment that cultivates that kind of students. You have to make sure that student well-being is fundamental to the educational experience. You want to make sure that students feel supported, and we have a number of um, you know services that focus on the student you know and and i always take pride in the fact that all my colleagues understand that at the heart of what we do are our students and so we all commit to making sure that that student the totality of the student is taken care of right it's not just a student in the classroom uh is that student outside of the classroom is that student and their uh you know sense of community uh is that student uh, make you know knowing that they can call on someone and that person will respond to their needs and so on and make sure that they're uh, there to guide them so we have various um you know um opportunities for students we are uh, touted as the co-op campus of the university of toronto uh, because experiential learning is an important part of that and that is another strength that this campus has had i think from its formation you know its beginning it's always been at the forefront of innovation you john would understand uh, some of the early um, you know, focus of this campus in terms of innovation and technology and so on. So some of the things that are happening today, this campus was at the forefront of. So we we take all of this things together. So we hope that all of this coming together, you know, uh, leads to the kind of student who stands tall above most, right? And so it happens that the things that we do allows this brilliant student that we have in the first place to rise uh, to the top above others. So you've so answered, that, you've answered my, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, that's, that would be my, you know, um, sense of what it is that cultivates that kind of student, right? It is not to say somehow we've got a magic bullet uh, that gives us the top students. I think it's the hard work of the staff, the faculty, and the students themselves, and yeah. the commitment that people give to uh the success of our students that and the principal you know, had nothing to do with it at all nope you know they make me look good you know they yeah. do they do the work they you yeah. know i think um you know my gratitude to my colleagues and their commitment is just beyond compare right and yeah. and our students understand that and they do their part everyone does their part um mm -hmm. and we've got a stellar group of faculty and staff who understand what it means to be an educator uh, and they invest all their soul and their blood into that. Now you've answered half the question. The <laughs> other half of the question is, <clears throat> and I, I suspect that you might have done that pitch before. Um, the other half of the question is, okay, why am I ponying up 
my uh, entire tuition and yet I'm going to be sitting in my bedroom um, watching a professor uh, do a lecture and possibly interacting on Zoom and occasionally uh, teetering up to the campus to uh, to uh, meet with somebody behind a mask and a plexiglass barrier and uh, gloves and uh, you know a hazmat suit um, and this is going to be my my professor um, mm -hmm. so why am I paying up this uh, enormous sum of money uh, right. to to do that so so I think I think the premise is one that we have to start with whether or not it reflects the reality I don't I think that the you know that is in a way a caricature of the experience that the students would have i think that you know all my colleagues are out now trying to look for the best educational experience for our students even in the midst of this right and so right. we don't look at this as just putting something online um in fact we're trying as hard as we can because the the value of the in-person interaction is important and and that will continue to be part of it we may not necessarily be uh you know kind of it's the same physical space. But the work that we're gonna do is not just putting things online and have students just become, you know, ro robots sitting in front of a screen. So there's a lot of thought going into how do we ensure that in the midst of this crisis, our students are still able to have the best educational experience that is not reduced to just sitting in front of a screen. Um, so when we talk about remote offerings, uh, because we're very clear that you know, we offer remote, there'll be remote offerings, but they're not exclusively online uh, because mm -hmm. you can create communities that are not necessarily just sitting in a lecture room doing stuff, right? You know, people are engaging in different spaces. So we're looking for opportunities for students to engage. We want to make sure that the um, out of class experience, you know, so what would you, you generally call the, the broader student experience is there to the extent that we're able to do it and in line with um, you know, the prescriptions of health authorities and so on. So we want to have um, some presence on campus uh, to the extent that is possible. Um, and we are working just like the CD uh, announced recently to stagger things and to move things around so that people have a chance to still uh, engage. And what we're hearing from our students, um, you know, is the yearn for that opportunity to connect, to, to, to be together. So. The classroom experience is going to be partly, you know, remote, but we're trying to make sure that the elements of the learning experience, because the learning experience is not just occur in that lecture, right? There are other ways in which you can do that. You and I sit in front of Zoom all day, you know what it's like. And so to, to be engaged intellectually in that space is probably not the most productive thing. Yeah. Uh, and we have a history uh, on our campus and across the university uh, being at the forefront of some of these technological innovations and my colleagues are working hard to make sure that the that student um, is still able to get the high quality educational experience that they deserve uh, remember that we also take pride in our reputation as a world-class university uh, and so we have a responsibility uh, to maintain that standing right and so we are doing everything we can to make sure uh, that the times might be different, the context might be different, but the quality that we are known for will continue to define who we are. Well, I think uh, U of T is number 22 in the world, and among public institutions, it's number 11 in the world. We're so, actually in the in the top 10 in publics, right? And so, oh, really? Okay. We, we yeah, we 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 
you know, so you're right, you know, that, that is the kind of institution we are. And we're mm -hmm. not going to, um, you know, play cheap. Uh, we're going to make sure that we put all our resources uh, into play to ensure that our students get the best educational experience, even though it might look different from the traditional yeah. experience that others have. Yeah. Well, we're we're gonna see whether your uh, sales pitch is uh, is really going to uh, to work. I imagine you'll know fairly shortly as to uh, whether people are uh, whether the kids are uh, or their parents, for that matter, are mm -hmm. writing checks to to uh, to do the enrollment. Yeah. Um, I um, I for one um, absolutely buy your uh, your arguments that. Uh, we are sitting on a national treasure. It's right underneath our noses. And I don't know that we actually in East Scarborough appreciate uh, what a, a great value UTSC is to the, um, to the broader community. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I, I, think it's, I think it's just terrific that Yeah, I look at this, John, as a sales pitch, because I think that we have an accountability to our community. We, are, we feel very strongly about our place in the community and what our responsibilities are. And if we're able to get our students from our community to come to UTSC, these are going to be the future leaders of our communities, right? And these are going to be the folks who change our communities for the better. And so we're invested in this place. We're an institution that is place-based that's going to be here for a long time. We owe it to ourselves to make sure that we have a hand uh, in, you know, in, in, in giving um, opportunities to the next generation of, of folks in our community. So we take this, uh, you know, not just as a transactional arrangement, but something that is really uh, value-based in terms of our commitment to our communities. Uh, before, before I let you go, and I am going to let you go, um, share share uh, with our uh, listeners the experience you and I had about a week ago in the uh, gymnasium with uh, with Global Medic, and because it speaks, uh, I think, brilliantly to the way UTSC um, interacts with the community and mm -hmm. um, and uh, reaches out to the wider community. Exactly, you know, and, and so, you know, thanks for bringing it up, you know, so when I talk about this, you know, hopefully people understand I wasn't making it up, right, <laughs> that, that we, we try to live our values every day, and, and you know, we work uh, with, um, you know, our municipal leaders, uh, you know, local, um, you know, leaders uh, with Global Medic uh, to, um, you know, put together what we call, you know, collaboration and, and response to uh, everyone uh, and, and, you know, in Scarborough, which is the CARES program. And what we're trying to do there is, um, you know, community coming together with university to say, what are some of the biting needs in our society as we go through these challenging times? And what can we as an institution offer in support of initiatives that would lessen the burden on our communities? What we're doing with that program is to get uh, food out to people in our community who need it. We know that, um, you know, food security is an issue in our community. Um, the community has been there to support our students with, you know, uh, food banks. We want to give in return. Uh, we do that in different ways. And this is just one of the ways that we do that. We see ourselves as an anchor institution, which means that we have uh, an obligation uh, to our communities. And we work in a reciprocal fashion with the community because 
our place here is made better when we have a community that is supportive uh, and we need to give back to that community uh, in, in a fashion that is mutually beneficial. And I think when we work together, we strengthen our communities, we create a kind of resilience that makes us better, uh, and we're able to cultivate the kind of leaders that we need for tomorrow that I talked about. Because our students are engaged in this uh, work, they're volunteering, our staff are volunteering, uh, and it's a learning experience for them as well, right? So again, my point earlier on about it's not just the classroom, learning happens in these spaces. And when we want to cultivate that leader with a conscience and a heart, what a better way to do it than through an initiative like CARES. Yeah, just, just to uh, describe the scene uh, to uh, people who are uh, not there, uh, the uh, UTSC, um, under the direction of wisdom, had uh, set aside, I guess it's the gymnasium, uh, for um, the distribution or the packaging and repackaging of lentils. And so they'd set up the entire gymnasium with tables, volunteers, and um, skids of lentils, which were taken from massive bags and reduced to um, uh, meal-sized portions, and then repackaged into into uh, boxes, put on skids, and distributed out through the uh, the, the community. And uh, the people that were doing the volunteering, uh, quite a number of them were from UTSC, mm -hmm. which speaks to uh, the uh, very values that you were, uh, you know, waxing eloquent about <laughs> about 15 minutes ago. Yeah. Um, and um, I think in some way speaks to why that proverbial student at Laurier and, and Woburn um, should really give a serious thought to um, coming to UTSC because not only is that a um, a excellent uh, um, academic institution, not only is an outstanding community of scholars, but the uh, values set um, is is really very very impressive. So, speaking of very very impressive, I think we're going to end it here. So, Thank you so much for the opportunity. This has been great, and um, you know, I wish all members of our community a good health. Everyone stay safe, and um, you know, hopefully, we'll be able to get together again soon. Yeah, well, I, I, trust me, we'll, we'll follow up on this. Thanks for listening to What We Give. I'm John McKay. This podcast was produced by Amanda Capito with support from Leila Sharif and Anessa DeAngelis. If you want to stay connected, feel free to go to my Facebook page. Just search for hon.johnmckay or Scarborough Gilwood.